So I really like Sherlock Holmes. I'm glad you do. And I really like Data. I'm glad you do. And I really hated Elementary Dear Data. I'm glad you do. Yeah, this was a really awful time. Well, you know, it was funny because uh, Richard and I were talking off mic about how much I don't like Sherlock Holmes. And he, he was reading uh, Sherlock Holmes, which I is am. why we, which is why we were talking about it. And uh, I realized something while watching Elementary Dear Data is that the reason why I hate Sherlock Holmes is because I was scarred by this episode when I was a teenager. See, like, this is, it, it, it's like seeing the conscience of the king and basing your opinion of Shakespeare from that. Now, I don't necessarily mean to compare Shakespeare and Sherlock Holmes, but that said, the source material is so much better than this crap. Yeah, that that is very true. It's... I mean, most of this episode is a really bad and boring Holmes pastiche that's not even – it would be one thing if it were interesting to watch or at least funny or something like that, but just kind of there. Well, I think the problem with this episode is twofold. Number one, yeah, the Holmes stuff is 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 not great, and it really is just an opportunity for uh, uh, Brent Spiner to overact in the in the weirdest way possible, and for for um, Levar Burton to do a terrible British accent. Uh, I especially enjoyed the scene where he started writing notes like Watson would have, and did it for about two minutes of screen time, which was fantastically oh, yeah. entertaining. Um, I also appreciated the fact that Pulaski was in the episode, which we will get to. Uh, oh, do we really have to? Because so so either you can do like like a a a, a, a Holmes pastiche episode that is well written and well constructed and and is enjoyable to watch on the level of things that are enjoyable to watch because Sherlock Holmes is interesting, I guess, even though I don't like it. But then we have this sub thing going on later on in the episode where uh, Pulaski is, again, being a dick to data for no reason other than they needed somebody to be a dick to data because they were trying to recreate the McCoy-Spock dynamic, which we talked about last week. And Jordy does something which apparently the computer can create sentient life. Um, and then we have Moriarty in the episode, which is this weird uh, uh, sort of examination of what what makes a thing alive and what, you know, and that could have been an interesting episode yeah. as well. But Neither of the two are done well, and the second one is in the episode for all of three minutes. So at the end of the day, this was a gigantic waste of time. I mean, you think about the episode, um, the, the the one where they're in, like, the Maltese Falcon type of where Picard's doing the Sam Spade one. The which, Big Goodbye. Yeah, in The Big Goodbye. That was very much the same exact episode with that, and it even ended on that note where they're, you know, saying, oh, well, we don't know if, you know, if you're going to be around, you know. And that ended on a surprisingly touching note. I actually really liked where that went at the end of this. This, you're randomly supposed to feel bad for Moriarty, but I don't really feel anything about him. I don't feel like he's bad in this because he doesn't do anything bad. And I don't feel that he's earned some kind of redemption because he's done nothing except give crumpets to Dr. Pulaski. Like, that's... And and draw that enterprise with figure one underneath it. Like that's that's the entirety of his actions in this episode that I noticed. I do want to talk more about that, but I have a very important question for you first. Are crumpets actually a real food that British people eat? It's like I I mean it it is to the effect that like Vegemite's a real food that the Australians eat. Because he said scones at one point, and then she called them crumpets because Doctor Pulaski is a stupid moron. And then Moriarty started calling them crumpets. And I'm not sure that crumpets are a real food. I think crumpets are a type of British food that Americans think British people eat. Or like, or maybe it even even saying like snacks or something like that. Yeah, you know, or, like maybe crumpets is just a slang for like, it could be a muffin, it could be a scone. Like it's well, just, I think maybe like we say like, oh, you'd have pastries. Well, it's kind know? of, it's, I'm imagining it's kind of like how, how non-Americans think that all Americans um, eat Lucky Charms for breakfast and then go out and shoot somebody with their gun. Well, yeah, we usually eat the Fruit Loops. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I you know, the Moriarty stuff, I think, is is intriguing as far as it goes. Um, it's it's problematic, though, because, you know, he's not a very effective villain. He doesn't really do anything. I don't get a sense of malice from him at all. He threatens Pulaski and abducts her. Um, and again, I am going to, just like in uh, uh, in The Big Goodbye, 
I am going to give my answer for people being trapped in the holodeck. Beam them out with the matter transporter that you have at your disposal. Like, what what was really getting to people like, well, well, Moriarty's overridden it. And I'm like, so the captain can't override the override? Like, yeah, like somebody shut the thing (laughs) down. There's about six ways. Yeah, that, you know, each of us came up with a very different way of solving this problem. Pull the plug. Like, when, when Worf was like, I need to send in a security team to find her. I was like, she's not actually in 19th century London. Well, let me ask She's you. in a room about the size of this room that we're That's in now. That's what I was about to say. Like, anytime we've seen the deck like, turned off, size of a small gym at most, I figured. You know, it's uh, there is a little room to run, you know, move around, but it's a small room. You can see the end of it. You can cross it in, a, you know, it doesn't take any time to cross the room. Yeah. So at the part when they're like, Moriarty's looking at with Dr. Pulaski in his apartment or whatever, and he sees the door. If Worf walked through the door at that point, would he walk into Moriarty's place or would he, like... Why are they having trouble finding her? Can't they just... I don't know. Even if it's matter, you you have several physical spaces. One physical space during which a couple of holographic realities are beamed into at the same exact moment. I don't get how they're handling when people are split up. Yeah, that's the problem with it, really, is that the holodeck makes no logical sense. And it never really makes any logical sense. And, and this is a case where the, norm, we haven't seen it come into play that it doesn't make logical sense, but here it's starting to. Right. And I think the problem is that like in the in the Big Goodbye, for example, we started to get problems with that um, very, very briefly. And, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that Elementary Jare Data was written and filmed because I can kind of see this episode being the the beginning of the holodeck stuff in Star Trek which is usually terrible and it's 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 a terrible cliche for Star Trek in general i mean you don't know that much about it but you know it's it's it, the holodeck gone awry is such a standard cliched Star Trek plot and it's never very good um the big advice sort of did it but didn't do it in the way that the show will do later yeah. um this really was them doubling down on that and saying this is going to be something that happens once or twice a season. And yeah, and it's it doesn't make any sense to me that 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 you know something like this would even be allowed to exist on a starship. Yeah, I like when they they've done scenes with the hollow deck. the The scene with Minuet was a really good use of it. The scene where Picard's going back to Paris when he was younger was a good use of it. Um. The next episode is a terrible episode in every way, and that was a terrible scene, but yet I felt that it was a use of the holodeck which made sense. In other words, we're using this as a way of exploring a theme or a part of the topic or something, you know, the way a character can externalize a a memory or something like that. Or, you know, we can use this to be a physical examination of a character's internal dialogue. Like, that is fine. That's a really good use of, of... of the technology for it to be something that affects the larger world. Yeah. It's stupid. I don't see why Dr. Pulaski doesn't just say, well, let's go outside, you know, sure. Here's the door. I'll open it for you. I mean, the easiest way to defeat anybody in the holodeck is to convince them. No, you're right. I'll take you to the captain because they'll dissolve the second they leave. Right. There's that fail safe in the thing. So, why is this ever an issue? She's only staying there because and and, and I, I don't understand how Moria I mean and, and they don't give an exa- they don't give an explanation for this either because they frankly I don't think there could have been one um for how he got control of the thing in the first place. I and, know they 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 almost imply that it's a kind of like when they had the um the binars overclock the ship and get you know this extraordinarily lifelike person they're kind of implying that something similar happened but just by him saying so again it it, it implies that there yeah as you said there the computer can reroute it, it can be given that instruction to loophole itself into controlling the entire ship and that makes no sense for it to do right because you know in effect moriarty you know well the the the, the implication is that moriarty is 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 sentient because data or, i'm sorry that jordy said that uh he needed a 
villain that was able to defeat Data and did not say a villain that is able to defeat Sherlock Holmes. And so in that case, the computer created something that is not being controlled by the computer, which then what, what is controlling it and what is like, you know, does Moriarty actually have like some sort of like existence outside of the computer and does he actually have independent thought processes that the computer has no knowledge of whatsoever or isn't doing anything about and See, and the end of the episode it, it, it starts to touch on that when he's you know when moriarty's pointing to Danny and saying well you know he his brain works kind of the same way mine does you know we are you know basically he's saying we're both kind of computer programs running here don't you consider him to be you know alive he doesn't say you know have a soul but that's you know kind of the you know the basic concept we're dealing with, and Picard does say, you know, in no uncertain terms, yes, he does, you know, and as he has always said, and, I mean, frankly, part of the reason they decide to come to a thing which will satisfy Moriarty is because I think Picard does realize, gee, I would do this for Data, I have to do this because he does, if he considers himself to be life, I have to respect that decision in a way, and, again, that was interesting, that was... If this episode had any meat to it, it could have been there, but they were just too busy. Again, oh, look, here's Javis Wilson being killed by the Speckled Band, OMG. You know, with every interesting thing this episode began to do, it didn't know what to do with any of these pieces. It doesn't know what – it didn't know what to do with Dr. Pulaski, a character we need to learn about in the clutches of the villain. It didn't do a damn thing with that. Yeah, she it was did. just stuffed with crumpets. And, and imagine, imagine, which I really hope was not a euphemism for anything. Um, you you did see her like passed out on the couch and like a half faint, and he's all like romantic to her. They, Rory already stuck it to the Pulaski. Well, I well, I mean, you've you've read a lot more Sherlock Holmes than I have. It, it would Rory already have raped her? Or would it have been consensual? Um, in this particular case, and I actually have not gotten into the Moriarty stories yet. Oh uh, well, um, what use are you then? Uh not much. But she did seem pretty. In, she didn't seem like she was under any particular duress, you know, during that. She kind of wanted to get out of there, but she also wasn't – she didn't seem scared, which is fine. I think she had the impl- – she realized, you know, this is just a hologram and eventually the captain will figure it out. Like, I'm just going to hang. Can we talk about Dr. Pulaski? Do we have to? Yeah. I just imagine I, what Dr. Crusher in this situation would be. Well, okay. L- l- I want to hear that. But, but um, well, first, yeah, th- tell me. What, what would she do? I mean, she would be, do fucking something. Pulaski doesn't even really ask questions of Moriarty. She doesn't really try. She keeps pretending that she's playing this role like, oh, gee, I don't know what, I'm, what you're talking about. I don't know. I think. Which is completely transparent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. But, I mean, she doesn't. I, I can picture Dr. Crusher trying to figure out a little more actively, well, what is your plan? And how did you get, you know, the situation? Pulaski doesn't do any intelligence gathering. She just waits. Right, right. Which is strange, I think. It's almost like a damsel in distress sort of thing. But it's not yeah. because I, I think Dr. Pulaski, you know, in we, we've seen her, what, three times now. Uh, did Was she in Where Silence Has Leaves from last week? Yeah. I, yeah, she was, right? Remember, they didn't notice uh, Troy as a woman, but they noticed Pulaski. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, which is weird. Um, that, you know, there's a there's a certain degree to which I like Dr. Pulaski so far, and especially in this episode, because she does have this sense of unimpressed world weariness about yeah. her, where she's just kind of like, this is patently ridiculous. I'm being held hostage yeah. by a hologram. I'm just going to hang around and eat these uh, replicated crumpets and tea and someone's going to come and get me, and everything will be fine. I think right? to a degree she is enjoying kind of playing dress up, and, you know, he is very suave, and she's just kind of going with it. Yeah, right? exactly. I think she's treating this she... as a lark, and she's just having fun with it. But then that's a problem, because I, I don't necessarily, especially given where it goes at the end, I don't necessarily disagree with her that this isn't a problem, and so this becomes another low-stakes episode. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. This episode, because... I, We've talked about stakes in Star Trek. Now, again, next week's episode, the next episode is even lower stakes. Yeah. But I don't really feel any sense of worry about what if they fail in doing oh, this. Oh, yeah. You know, again, it's not, you know, they'll figure it out. Like, it's not like anything really bad's going to happen. It's not like she's in any mortal danger or something like that. Well, except for the fact that Moriarty is able to shake the ship. Oh, uh, no. How is he doing that, by the way? Because he has that big lever. Right. But what is he actually doing? He's pulling the lever. 
I understand, but how is that making the Enterprise shake? Oh, because when you pull the lever, it shakes the Enterprise. That's what the function of that device is. Did you write this episode? I might not have. <laughs> um, I was ten at the. T- I was like seven at the time. So yeah, that makes about sense. That makes that makes about as much sense as anything else. Um, yeah, I, that that's problematic. That Moriarty is apparently able to to uh, shake the Enterprise somehow, but they don't explain why. And I think you know what you're seeing is 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 an episode where they don't really know how anything is supposed to happen, and things just happen through Deus Ex Machina's because what yeah. you know what else is supposed to happen? I mean, we're asking um, a lot of questions that have contradicted other episodes, or where it didn't you know that doesn't make sense, or they haven't figured out the rules of the holodeck. And this episode kind of depends on the rules of the holodeck either being followed or broken in some specific ways. In other words, they're all shocked like, oh, the computer can do this. Well, I guess it can. You know, it hasn't felt to us like a rule has been violated because we don't really know what the holodeck does and does not do yet. Right. And And they don't seem to either. Right. And there's some talk in this episode about um, mortality safeguards or something like that, which I believe was also brought up in the big goodbye when the man was shot. Yes. Um, You know, so so that's problematic as well. I mean, you know, I'm not saying anything that that Trekkies haven't thought about because, you know, but this is all new to you. I mean, the the idea that the mortality safeguards can even be overridden is insane. Um, You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that. You know, there there was still they were still unclear about whether or not everything was a hologram in the holodeck or if some of it was a hologram and some of it was like replicated matter. And this episode makes it seem like everything is real, like it's everything is replicated matter. I mean, Um, like there's this talk about, you know, Moriarty can't leave the holodeck because he's a hologram, but they can figure out some way to get him off the hologram, probably by transporting the hologram through the transporter and then creating him through matter. Like it's just, I I got the sense they were like saying, you know, we, you know, the reason there's a range to this, like a fence just based on the power. So yeah, again, they, they don't know what the rules of their own technology are. And that's a problem. Which, yeah, to a degree, I get why they don't, they still haven't felt it out. But again, this episode depends on some of the points of this episode, some of the sense of danger or the sense of what Moriarty can do depends on us knowing about it. And we, it doesn't make any sense what he can do. I mean, I agree with you, but I, but I think it's a self-imposed problem. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if they had just used the holodeck for the sort of thing like they did in We'll Always Have Paris yeah. or in, in, in uh, 11001001 with Minuet, yeah. you know, where they're going in, in, a, in a confined space mm-hmm. and they're going there to have a good time. They're just hanging out, listening to some jazz music or whatever. Like that would be something, right? And if you, go, if you saw that every few episodes and they were just kind of using it as a ten forward replacement, especially in the first season when there was no ten forward, that would be something that I would be fine with. But what you get is instead they're writing episodes which are the 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 problem of the episode and the resolution of the episode takes place entirely in a simulated environment. And so they don't have to write these episodes. And so yeah. elementary dear data, if it was just a B plot with Jordy and Data having a good time in the holodeck, and there was actually a problem at the A plot. Maybe the Romulans were coming. You know, I'm just making this up. It wouldn't be a problem at all. But their issue with it is that they're self imposing these limitations on themselves through the use of the holodeck as a dramatic device, yeah. as a way to create tension, and it doesn't work. And it's their fault it doesn't work because they don't have to do it. Yeah, the holodeck needs to be used in very particular scenarios. When it's been used as a way of training, I think when we had Yar um, in in that terrible first or second episode with um, oh, Code of Honor, yeah, you right. know, But where she's using it as as her, you know, she's showing off her training regimen in there. You know that that's a use for the holodeck. All of those things make sense. You know, again, even I can see why the characters would want to be in some kind of you know, virtual play in a way, because yes, that's probably what sure. that would, that's kind of what video games are attempting to do nowadays in some ways. So yeah. Um, but it seems like that's always going to boil down to, and then the villain of whatever genre piece we've written threatens to go into the real world and take over. I mean, that's pretty much what the plot of either the big goodbye or this, or I'm going to assume the next dozen episodes like this are basically going to be because where else do you go with that if you have these mortality safeguards you know even if you're in a Maltese falcon pastiche and you get shot while the simulation will end so you gotta 
half-assed some explanation for why that's out, and then you have to get some explanation of, well, why can't they open the door and get them, you know, and carry them out, you know, and why can't they push the off button, and why can't they, you know, just, yeah, why can't they walk out the door is the big question. Yeah, and I guess, and I guess that's my, I guess that's a good summation of what my problem with Holodeck episodes is, but, you know, besides everything that we've been talking about, is just that it, it assumes that the audience is not paying attention to the show and it assumes that the audience is kind of stupid. And I don't like that. I There's don't li- no control alt delete. Yeah. Right. I don't <laughs> like I don't like being talked down to yeah. and Star Trek doesn't usually talk down to the audience. Holodeck episodes talk down to the audience in a big way. Yeah. Um but why did they keep doing them? Did they did people did they get re- well were they well received at the time? Were they? I don't think so. I mean, fun I, to make. I think they're probably fun to make. The actors get to dress up in different costumes. Yeah, they get to act like Sherlock Holmes, or they get to act like uh, you know uh, Spade, Dixon yeah. Hill. You know, like it's just I guess it's fun for them. It's a little different. Um, you know, they get the director gets to play around with different sets. And yeah, that's fair, but that but that makes it even more of his own exercise, you know. Well, yeah, it does. It really does, and it it doesn't serve much of a purpose. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the original series didn't have to do this. Um, now they had their own problems in own ways. They were certainly using, you know, studio backlots to do sort of alternate earth stuff um to save on money, but I read something about this episode where um it they built the set actually of London really? and it cost them like a hundred thousand dollars to build it and they had to cut a shooting day to make up for the cost. So I'm like, so it's not like they had done a Victorian London. Movie yeah, this and was, just had the sets on the lottery. This was not a cost saving episode. Huh. This actually cost them a lot of money to do, and so that to me is even more damning because it's like you could have used that hundred thousand dollars to yeah, to, well yeah, and also you know just to go on location and do some really amazing location shooting or something. I mean. It seems like it's, a, it's just a fundamental waste of money. To I me. don't remember what London really looked like in the episode. You know that that's a right. I, I vaguely remember Moriarty's place, and that's dressing a room. You know that's not an expensive thing to do. Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's so yeah. Like the fact that I don't remember your multi-thousand-dollar sets is a problem. Yeah, it is. It is a problem. Absolutely. Um, the other problem that I have with this, and then, and then maybe we can wrap this one up is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Dr. Pulaski earlier. Does she just sit around and tend forward waiting for Data sh- to show up so she can be a dick to him? Well, she's obviously an alcoholic. I was going to say, like, the only place she ever seems to be is either tend forward or on the bridge. I She doesn't seem to hang out in the sick bay. I was going to say, we saw her, like, once in there when... So, so we have an alcoholic female dr mccoy who likes to insult data you know again she's pro- she seems like she's a really good researcher it just seems like when she's out of looking at a thing and analyzing a thing like she's really good at data which is ironic um but that's about really good at data she's I really mean. good at data she's not a field officer yeah i guess but why is she such a dick to data like why does she not like because him? she's not really good with I don't think of her as really great with people in general, but yeah, I mean, maybe there's a, maybe a robot killed her mother. Maybe I robot don't know. gave I, her that perm. I know why they did it. I just I'm wondering, you know, why? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, what's what's the deeper level here? Like, why did they she... think we would genuinely be entertained by watching did... someone we don't know about and kind of don't like insult our favorite character? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's that's ba- yeah, I, and that there is no answer I have to that question. Yeah, well, that's okay. All right. Well, maybe we should just move on. It was on. just a miss. No, I, I don't. From what I'm hearing, oh no, from, I'm agreeing with you. I yeah, mean, yeah, from what I'm hearing from you, I don't think they ever. I get the sense that Pulaski was just a fuck up on their part. Like you know, everyone writes a bad character from time to time. That's true. It yeah. just it was not a good day when they greenlit that character. I don't yeah. know why they would do it, but you know. And at the end of the season, she falls down a turbulent shaft. So there we go. Oh, God. Thank you for the spoilers. No, that was actually a joke. Her, she played a character on L.A. Law, and that happened, too. What, where she fell down a turbolift shaft? She fell down an elevator shaft. <laughs> well, thank you for spoiling L.A. Law for me. Oh, yeah. I know you were really going to get on L.A. Law. I kind of wanted to. Okay. Well, next week, we're going to turn Trek about into an L.A. Law <laughs> podcast. So look forward to that. Um, oh, one other thing about this episode that I think you'll find interesting. Uh 
and this will and, and this will tie into the fact that the writers are, are basically incompetent. Um, apparently, the writing staff thought that Sherlock Holmes was a public domain character, and he is not. Oh, really? No. Uh, and which you know, okay, fine. Uh, but you would think that they might do some research on this to find out. And after this episode aired, apparently the estate because it of, wasn't even a hundred years. Since. No, right. Yeah. The the estate of uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, uh, contacted them and very politely said um, they could have like sued them, demand a lot of money. They mm-hmm. said, you know, uh, we get a percentage, like we get a fee every time someone wants to use Sherlock Holmes. So if you ever want to use Sherlock Holmes again, like you need to pay us a fee. Yeah. And they were really nice about it, but I just thought that was kind of funny because it's like, wow, you guys didn't even check that. You were so enamored of the idea of writing a Sherlock Holmes themed episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that you just were like so excited you didn't even think to check. Yeah, I mean like and I guess because Sherlock Holmes was one of the first, you know, even before Star Trek started fan fiction, Holmes started fan fiction. So I guess people kind of figured, you know, all, you know, maybe they just figured it, it, it's in the public domain, but again given how even Star Trek at that point was just was starting to deal with those kind of things, you would think that they would be a little more cognizant of those sorts of issues i mean star trek the original series basically invented slash fiction so you would assume that they would well that's another thing that uh holmes fans invented actually before star trek (laughs) no watson and holmes it's there that i don't want to hit no i don't want to hear about it let's just move on to the outrageous okona uh i give this um three sherlock holmes pipes sure yeah all right well let's move on to the outrageous okona oh boy and i know i'm pronouncing it wrong I know it's Okana, but it's always stuck in my head as Okona, and I am going to continue to pronounce it Okona because if it's Okana, it should be spelled differently. I'm just going to say this. When I first started watching the episode, I thought, well, at least he's kind of, you know, bulgy and, you know, but then I noticed the ponytail, and then he just became an irredeemable character. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the ponytail because, you know, I'm not going to lie. He's an attractive man in his own way, and... uh I, it, you know, if if I were a, a, a crew member on the USS Enterprise D, uh, you know, perhaps I would have invited him to my quarters as well. Um, he is obviously bisexual and was obviously fucking his way through the decks. Um, Starting with Wesley and... Uh, yeah, what was up with that? Here, oh, Lieutenant, here you go. Oh, no, that's, you know, he's... I'm just the know. acting ensign. I mean... yeah. You know, I don't blame Wesley for having a two total dude crush on him, and like everybody knows, and I love how everybody like Riker and Picard like just kind of react to Wesley having his these starry eyed crush on him because they totally get it because you know he's goes his own way, and you know he doesn't listen to him, and he likes to be on his own because he's a lone wolf. And, like this is a Poochie episode. Well, yeah, this is. I just you want know, to I want to go back to Wesley for a minute because you know it makes me think that I know that he wasn't doing this because it was 1988 and he was 16 years old but it almost seems to me like Will Wheaton was playing Wesley as a little gay boy and yeah I know he wasn't doing that and Will Wheaton is just not the best actor and I say that with love and because not- Will Wheaton is a fine man and he's grown up and he's wonderful and he, he does all sorts of interesting things now and he's a he's a wonderful human being and he gives money to charity and he has kids and dogs and well, has a lovely wife but um yeah I just I don't fundamentally don't get what was going on with Wesley I feel and I don't like- I feel like I don't know why I never noticed it before either frankly it's the kind of thing where like knowing now where Will Wheaton is in his life, it's surprising me that he didn't grow up to become gay based on his how he was acting in this episode. Like, I guess if I had seen this at the time, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, he's well." That's offensive. No, it I, is. It's I. You think... don't. You don't become gay. You are gay, Richard. When when I I was a little gay boy when I was like six. Well, that's all I I'm wasn't. Saying. I chose to become gay at the age of sixteen. Okay. All right. Um. I would have gotten the sense, you know, watching him like that, this actor, okay, you know, probably Whedon himself is a little gay boy and he's, you know, that, and he's playing the character that way because, you know, that's his normal, how he acts in real life. And I, I, I would have thought it would have just been a subtext for how he acts. So the fact that, you know, again, he's not, is funny to me, you know, it's because it seemed like that's where the character was going to go. Right, right. It, It just seems strange to me is all I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's one th- it's one thing for him to hero worship all of these dudes that are around him because, all right, sure, he is surrounded by some of the elite in the Federation and Starfleet, and of course he's going to be 
impressed by all of them, but he plays it a little too much of a crush. Even to the point where, and I swear we will stop talking about this, but it just fascinates me. Even to the point where, like, you know, for example, when um, uh, Riker says something to him and Wesley just looks back at him with this sort of, like, angelic smile and he's almost like, oh, boy, my dick is hard. You know, it's just yeah. like, this is weird. And like I said, Riker and Picard usually seem to pick up on it when, and they don't. And, like, they always have these very tiny reactions to that where they're just kind of, like, humoring him, like, okay, talking so, about them. So this is—I don't think this is ever really contradicted. Um, let's, you know, in, a, in the same way that you were arguing in our original series episodes that, that Sulu was gay, and I said, no, he wasn't. Um, he because is. you were reading into the fact that George Takei, the actor, is gay. Um, I you. am going to claim— <laughs> That Wesley Crusher is gay. Okay. I don't disbelieve you. But but you have to. Otherwise, but, this isn't going to work. But I agree with you. The way he acted to the... Even in the episode where he was taking the Starfleet test, you know, when he kind of was friendly to that girl, but he was really palling out with the guy. Like, it seemed like he just really liked the vapor dude. All right. <laughs> I'm depressed now. I thought we were going to have this whole like argument bit that we could do for the whole six years that we have left to do this. I think that would have been really stupid if we had done that. <sighs> no, no. Now you're supposed to be like, well, I thought it would have been great, and then we could have had an argument going on. No, I'm just depressed now. Okay. Well, you know what else? Is- Let's talk about Terry Gar. Okay. Did you notice that was Terry Gar that he was hitting on the transporter chief? Who's Terry Gar? Oh my God, you don't recognize anybody. No, I don't. I don't. She played Lois Lane in the Adventures of whatever that show was with the guy, and she's an actress and she's very well regarded. Well, good for her. I and I think she, I think she may be. I mean, I think she was probably in Desperate Housewives. I want to say. Okay. And it was just like a little nascent Terry Gar. I would say this was, I guess, one of her you know? first. Terry Terry <laughs> Terry Gar had just moved to LA from Kansas and she got her first TV gig, speaking gig, and she got to fuck the outrageous Okana. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we're probably dancing around the episode for 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 obvious reasons because there's it's there's awful. There, yeah, there's no way around it. It is frankly awful. Um it is it, was this intended to be a spin-off character? Like is he's or I got the sense they were either gonna make, you know, him be a recurring character and then he would get his own series. Like it really seemed like that's what they wanted to do with this guy. I frankly hope not. Yeah. Um, because he's very obviously their hand solo. Well, yeah, but you know what I thought was interesting that I had never really picked up on before. I was getting shades of Harry Mudd from him like and, a little bit, not and, in terms of temperament, but in the way that he does is this character who has this kind of, right. I don't want to sell well written history or deep history, but he does actually seem to have a backstory as opposed to, you know, any other character who gets on the ship. And Mud did have a very – we did see Mud in the middle of stuff. When we saw Mud the next time, we knew what he'd been up to in the past couple of years. You know, yeah. things like that. I if, think, if they know, were to show Akana next time, we would know what the past two years had wrought, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the problem with, with Akana as a character is he doesn't fit into um, this version of Star Trek, really. You know, I could see Okana showing up in the original series and it being a fine episode. Just because, you know, Harry Mudd was a very similar character in a lot yeah. of ways. He was very colorful. He was very energetic. You know, he definitely had a backstory. definitely had some something going on upstairs. Um, but, you know... The reason why Harry Mudd worked in the original series was because everybody else around him as well, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, had very strong dynamic personalities that were very alive and very energetic, and it was a very colorful environment. And it was also, I would say, the characters were a little, not necessarily two-dimensional, but they could be angled into a broader version of their own characters in a way that, like, you you can make make, characters Kirk and you can make Spock into a one-note character without harming them more than you can do Picard or Riker or anybody. They're much more complex characters. A- absolutely, so you yeah. You can do a broader comedic episode. I mean, mud episodes are almost slapstick sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that, and I think that that doesn't work with yeah. the show. And so, you know, Okana almost seems like the kind of character that's out of time in a way. He doesn't fit into the show. He doesn't fit into the environment. And um, even time-wise, like, he seems a very cusp of the 90s character just to watch in 2013. Yeah. That felt very dated, like, you know, again, he reminded me of Poochie. He was like a focused, focused marketing 
character in some ways. Yeah, and it almost seems weird because he almost got more muted as the episode went on. Like, he started out and he was very, like, even to the point where, you know, when Troy was talking about him and she said he was irreverent and blah, 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 oh, and whatever, God. it was almost like they were trying to sell it, sell the O'Connor spinoff, you know, to, 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 to Paramount. <laughs> what in they the would call him is a rogue yeah exactly yeah and excuse me i need to go into my quarters now like oh god and then he starts fucking his way through the crew which is all fine and and it's funny because picard's even like well you can do that that's fine i don't care yeah um but you know the fact of the matter is why you know picard is like why are you here like this is a pro i don't want to deal with this like you need to go like and it it was funny to me because it's like i don't think patrick stewart gets enough credit for playing funny and i think in this episode he's doing a pretty good job of it i also think that um you know he's also uh in his facial expressions i think you can really see especially towards the end of the episode where data gives that joke and everyone kind of titters um and 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 Riker asks him, you know, should we go to warp? And he's like, please. That Patrick Stewart is really re- regretting ever auditioning for the show at this point. Yeah. Um. So I think there's some of that going on in this episode as well <laughs> in his performance. But but I liked the fact that they did sort of question the idea that you know the the flagship of of, of the Starfleet should should even like be involved in this situation because it's so um it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I. Patrick Stewart does he's funny in a stra- in a funny straight man kind of way in a lot of yeah. ways. But like I I loved that line where you know he's saying oh we should put the shields down and why he's like well if we need to surrender you know and he just says that like you know I I think they're just almost kind of like I really hope they shoot at us because it's going to ding off our hull and you know it's going to be really funny you know but yeah he does the straight, straight and especially man, and, the, and he does annoyed very well Yeah like, he does annoyed very well he does huffy very well I think you know one of my favorite lines in the episode and Picard gets a lot of good lines in this one and it really sounds like we like this episode but we do not and we will get into why um, and the fact that we haven't even touched upon why Ola, is the reason yeah yeah we'll, we'll get there um that uh uh you know the one thing where, where Riker says oh well the regulations say we should go to yellow alert and Picard says mm, very old regulation number one <laughs> just like I love that line <laughs> He's like, well, make it so. All right. I guess the regulations say we should go to yellow alert. So let's yeah, do I would it. Say it's like you, you, you picture somebody on like a military, you know, battle, you know, and they're just like, OK, what happens when they take a cannon at us? You know, when they wheel out this gigantic thing and they're looking in a yellow book. Like, it's like when a little poodle is like yeah. growling at a St. Bernard. You're just like, well, all right. Yeah. That's cute. Um, All right. Let's. You're a droid. Let's. And I'm annoyed. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to bring something to, to your attention and to the listener's attention. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, um, who, who, who gave that joke in the episode, and I, I use that term extremely loosely. <laughs> Which is like, no, it is funny. No, it's fucking not Whoopi Goldberg. Do you think, like Whoopi Goldberg made her career as a, as a comedian mm-hmm. and, and comedic actress. Uh, she was uh, at the top of her game in 1988. She had a great career. She was very funny. Um, how much did they pay her to sell that joke as funny? Because I can only imagine that Whoopi Goldberg had vehement conversations with whoever wrote this episode. Like, this is not funny. And I also think that 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 was probably the Whoopi Goldberg version of of that yeah, joke, say, she would, probably made it better. She would probably have talked to, at the very least, she probably could have talked to Roddenberry and like pulled weight. Like you know, you you would think that like she would be able to rewrite that line. Or and, so yeah, that was the compromise. Yeah, that yeah. that was the better version of that joke. That was the version that Whoopi Goldberg wrote. Probably, I would assume. I mean, I the only good moment of this episode really was when. You know, Data is telling her his his joke, and she just has no expression on her face. Like, that was the funniest part of this episode for me. The, yeah. the way she played just deadpan and just not even, like, she doesn't even think it's a bad joke. She literally has no—like, that was a funny moment, but— Well, well I am assuming that uh, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, probably had some dealings with Joe Piscopo. Uh-huh. And, and we— <laughs> Let, yeah, Joe Piscopo was in this episode playing Mr. Comic. Uh, 
fantastic. Um, and, and, and here's something interesting for you and a little bit of background trivia. Uh, they uh, tried to get Jerry Lewis to play Mr. Comic, but he had a scheduling conflict. Oh. So imagine what that could have been. Like, um, that, that Whoopi Goldberg on. Man, it's like that and the day the clown cried are the two big loss Jerry Lewis works in the world. <laughs> that, that, you know, Whoopi Goldberg probably had some dealings with Joe Piscopo outside of this episode. And I can just only imagine that she did not like him at all because she really didn't act like she was having a good time when she was on stage with Mr. Comic in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and beyond the what her character was supposed to have. Yeah, like there was a little bit of real life going on there, I think. Um, I really hope on the DVD there's probably the full slowed down version of his speech of all the jokes i would assume the 20 minute cut of that i don't and know. i bet there's just a total extended deleted scene of just their improv with the jerry lewis because you know they just put the camera on and had joe and brent just go yeah all um um joe piscopo did improvise uh that jerry lewis bit and all of his jokes so um good good for joe piscopo i suppose there is a reason why joe piscopo no longer has a career um and this is why because joe piscopo is not funny um yeah i i i i think that uh you know this is frankly um it's probably like my least favorite episode of any star trek series ever and it's 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 (laughs) It is so fundamentally bad on so many levels that I don't even know where to begin with it, really. I mean, you were telling me you you didn't say, you know, that I, – I, I don't know if you said you hated it that much, but you certainly – I knew watching this one, like, oh, this isn't a good one. And watching, you know, with all O'Connor, whatever his name is, you know, I'm like, all right, I see why. This sucks. This is bad. You know, this isn't really – and then they did the Jerry Lewis stuff. And then, I, and then like, the fish scales fell out of my eyes and I understood all, like – yeah, yeah, and 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 there were there were so many good comedians in the eighties that they could have tried to have gotten right, like George Carlin. Uh, they could have tried to have gotten Richard Pryor. Um, they could, have, I mean, like again, Whoopi Goldberg didn't know any have any friends who could have used you know work for maybe Joe Piscopo was her friend, and well, that's really depressing if that's the case. <laughs> and I think you know you know to to sort of like talk about this a little more seriously, you know, I think it's it's problematic because. Uh, number one, Data seems to get it into his head. This whole B plot comes from the fact that that you know with the outrageous Okana, um, and I'm just going to keep calling him the outrageous Okana because I think that's his title. That you know he says something funny and Data's like, I don't laugh. I don't know what you're talking about. I also, but I, I do have sex. Um, and also, you know, um, the outrageous Okana has that line about sex and love being the same thing, and Data says, I don't think that's right. I'm like, huh? Yeah. D- Data is the 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 cold um the cold hookup guy who's like on Scruff all the time. And uh, and for straight listeners, uh Scruff is a a, a uh, app uh for your for your smartphone um uh, where where gay men can find other gay men to uh touch penises. Um uh that I just need to tell that because straight people don't know how yeah. to have sex. Um and then uh 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 you know, the outrageous Okana, you know, is is the the starry-eyed romantic who who thinks that that having sex and and, and making love are the same thing. Well, he's more of a, you know, He's a very complex character that outrageous Okana. He's a Don Juan type who, you know, he does, he loves women and during every- Every single one of those women that he's with, I'm sure he genuinely loves and cares for and is enjoying the company of and, you know, is treating well and, you know, is, you know, he's spinning, you know, when he's, when Terry Gar calls him out, you know, he's basically like, you're spinning bullshit. And he's like, yeah, but isn't it, you know, so well said, like, yeah, he even knows he's giving And I got her into bed. Yeah, but he also knows it's, you know, fun and, you know, it's not exactly bad to hear those kind of things. So, yeah, that's, I don't know, man. I guess that's true. Um, if but, only he'd cut that ponytail off. Oh, I don't know. And that doesn't even look like a real ponytail. Like That looks like that was added by the production staff. Or maybe it's like he wore it to like the set that day. And he's like, this is what my character would have. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> just why? Like, just give him a mullet even. Like, that would even have been better. Just the po- It looks dirty. Well, so so getting back to data and the comedy, um, I know it's hard it's hard to get back to it because the outrageous Okana is such a fascinating character to talk about. We keep getting sucked into some other <laughs> aspect of his personality or, or person that we had not discussed yet. I was more worried about the fact that you just said comedy because that's not what the fuck this was, but Well, the the comedy subplot yeah. I use, you know, air quotes. Uh that 
you know, Data discovers that he he doesn't understand jokes, and which he's known before, and yeah. suddenly gets it into his head that he really needs to figure out what's funny so that he can laugh at appropriate moments. I guess, um, which is a Data thing to do. It's I'm fine. fine. I'm fine with that. Pl- getting, I'm fine. That yeah, plot. like like Data trying to understand human behavior and trying to emulate human behavior and trying to like get it, you know, is fine, and that's something that. You know the next generation. That's a staple of the show. You will see this many more times in the in the in the future of the show. Done much better than this. Yeah. Um, but it's just the fact that they decided to do it in this way, yeah. which is so terrible. Like, it, why not just have Data and Jordy pal around for a while with with Guinan and like just talk or something. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, there's like no that... reason for this holodeck Joe Piscopo, Mr. Comic shit. That is, is frankly embarrassing to watch. I had to turn down my, the volume on my TV in case my roommate was awake. Like it was one of those things. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, R- Richard, and Richard, my roommate's 22. I have nothing to fucking be embarrassed about. Richard only turns porn and the outrageous Okana down. I don't even turn the porn down. Okay. Well, he only turns the outrageous Okana down. Uh, yeah. Because of that fucking ponytail. And I guess, you know, it's, it's essentially a problem that, you know, again, it's, it's the holodeck. It's fine. It's a room. It's a contained space. It makes sense. Yeah. Like I said, they didn't do it well, but I liked, I think this using the, uh, this function of the holodeck is a fine use of it. It wasn't that di- it was in the same context as, say, Minuet or the Paris, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, but number one, Data seems to have fi- found the most hackneyed comedian who, by the way, is is 350 to 400 years out of date at this point. And, you know, yeah, well, th- I, I would have liked the math humor guy. I was going to say, like, thinking back to, you know, if we had done this, would we have really found something from 1600 really funny, like gut bustingly funny? Like that just that is is problematic to me. Number one, um, maybe I'm sure that there are still stand up comedians working in the Federation in, t- in the 24th century. So just find one of those. What about Rebo and Zudi? Yeah, like that. That's that's, that's from Babylon 5. I know. Uh, and number two, um they explicitly say that Mr. Comic is supposed to be and Mr. I, you know, I don't know if that was. Was da- that his real name? I didn't think it I think was. was. I thought that J- Data I, just called him I that. I think that like, was you know. Data's idea of being polite. Yeah, like, you know, like how you say Captain, you know, Lieutenant, Mr. Comic, you know. Yeah, I think that was just. That's kind yeah. of. And that was that was a line reading that that Brent Spiner didn't do super well because I don't think the joke came across. Um that, uh, 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 you know, why not just have Mr. Comic be Joe Piscopo? Yeah, like... Like, what would be the problem there? Like, oh, it's Joe Piscopo. He was fa- he was a famous American comedian in 1988. Ah, it's funny. That's really great. Like, wh- why not yeah, just... Yeah, I... I it, why go to all this, like, obfuscation about who exactly this is and why? For what purpose? Like only, I mean, to pad the episode, I suppose, or maybe because nobody would actually think that Joe Piscopo was funny. Well, here's the thing. I don't know whether the episode thinks that Mr. Comic is necessarily funny or not, because it's not as if, like, if Guinan went to, you know, at the end when she's seeing his act, if she was laughing at him, if she was finding it funny and we were basically told that, you know, the same jokes on Mr. Comic aren't, are funny, but when Data tells them... They're not. It's in the timing and stuff. Well, Data has terrible timing, they, especially when he's telling those jokes in 10 forward. Well, yes, of course. And, you know, that's taking no pauses. He's not, you know, but. But, you know, the fact that she doesn't find Mr. Comic funny kind of suggests that he's not funny. Yeah. So in which case, which on the one hand is fine. But then we just watched a, a non-funny stand up routine that wasn't even funny at how non-funny it was. But it was just, again, embarrassing is a perfect word for that, you know? It almost seems like everybody is playing an elaborate prank on Data in this episode, which is really mean. Yeah. Like, it, it seems like Dickinen doesn't like him very much and just <laughs> wants him to suffer. Well, that's because, you know, think about Dr. Pulaski's in 10 Forward all the time, and she and Guinan are probably really close. I mean, if Guinan is the kind of person who will know her regulars very well. I, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, so really, I think that 
Dr. Pulaski has been poisoning the Guinan well against Data, and then that's why this happens. Oh, that's really sad. I know. We're going to find out, like, it, there's going to be a conspiracy episode, and that's how that's how Dr. Pulaski goes. <sighs> yeah, I just think that there's an episode here that probably would have been good, but it just isn't because of Joe Piscopo. Like, an examination of funny, an examination of comedy, having Data trying to be funny, all great, all great, and there are good ways to do it. But I think what we're seeing is just... The show is not able to be competent yet. Yeah, it has. There are moments, but it's not there yet. This is, I guess, yeah, both episodes had that. They, they, And again, talk about low stakes. This episode has no stakes. No, even to the point where they explicitly say that the ships that are threatening the Enterprise yeah. like, literally cannot do it. Like, they could fire their weapons until they run out of power and they still would not hurt the Enterprise. Yeah, the only reason that they're even, that the Enterprise isn't just saying, yeah, have fun, guys, and turning around is because, you know, Okona is on the ship right now. You know, and so he kind of, you know, he is making this be a problem that they have to deal with at this moment. But yeah, and we haven't really we haven't really touched on the the alien threat in this episode because, frankly, it's it's a sort of non consequential. I was going to say very... I don't really care to talk about it. Like, there's nothing there. I I feel like this is a thing where we should be talking about the prime directive, but I just really don't want to have to analyze this episode anymore. Yeah, like we which. I I will we were talking about on the drugs episode when they were like <clears throat> okay well we violated what point was there a violation of a prime, of the prime directive have we hit that yet was picking up this guy a violation of that well you know if we make a decision in that is that going to violate like that kind of thing these all the decisions that they make picking up Akana fixing his ship uh tell you know if being asked to arbitrate well who do you give him to you know having the meeting be like all of those things may be violations of the prime directive in a way and yet no they're not they're not violations of the prime directive why not because they have space travel they okay they are oh yeah they are in they're in spaceships okay fair point all right then then that makes sense yeah so shut up richard okay you don't know what's funny and you don't know what makes sense yeah I'm Joe Piscopo. This has been Joe Piscopo. Thank you for listening to Trek About. Fuck um, you. Yeah, and I guess at the very end of the episode, they do try and wrap everything up sort of together where they, they have the, the, the one guy. I, I don't know. It's like two two planets or something, and they're like— Two fight. houses both alike in dignity. Right. Is... It's Romeo and Juliet basically in space. Okay, fine. Whatever. We get it. Um, one of them is pregnant. Of course, they're not going to kill each other. She, th- you know, The guy thinks that the outrageous Okana— impregnated her but really it's the guy from the other house and they don't want to say anything because they were sneaking around and he was helping him and you know it's like okay that line about him thinking love and sex are the same thing wraps up nicely with the end of the episode because he is a romantic and he was trying to help them and blah 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 great whatever and at the end of the episode he gets to leave and go away and everything's happy again um but i don't care to ever really see this episode again i don't ever really care to think about it again and frankly if uh, this episode had been lost in a similar fashion to how a lot of Doctor Who episodes from the 60s were lost, I would not have been sad because it would have saved us a lot of pain. Negative 15 outrageous Okanas. You know, negative 14. I really liked that Jerry Lewis impression. It was dead on. Okay. Well, next week we are talking about Loud as a Whisper and the Schizoid Man? Schizoid. Schizoid Man. S-C-H-I-Z-O-I-D? Uh-huh. Schizoid. Okay, I'll take it. We'll see you then.